0: All right, we're continuing our study in Judges this Sunday. We're looking at the life of Gideon. So we begin Gideon this Sunday. Four weeks we're going to spend studying this judge, Gideon. It's, it, as I've uh, prepped for this, and, uh, and I've been more convinced that uh, each chapter is more thrilling uh, and scary at the same time. Because uh, evil keeps happening, but God keeps showing up, so it's really good and great encouragement. What we find with Gideon is we're going to see some great moments for Gideon. We're going to see some great things it does not end well for Gideon, and so like there's a lot of things that we're going to see that, that are just um, quite uh, uh, encouraging, and then some stuff about Gideon that's just really discouraging. Today's more of the encouraging stuff from Gideon. It's the we're gonna we're gonna begin with uh, with, with how God calls him to the mission. And before we get started, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Take this Bible; it is yours. Um, and as we begin, I want to ask the question, uh, what was your childhood like? What was your upbringing like? What was yours? Did you grow up in church? Did you, Many of you did it. Many of you didn't grow up your first generation Christian, but, but what was your, if you did, what was your church experience? What was it like? Where is that church now? Where are they at now? Uh, One of the first churches I went to, the the guy who baptized me, I don't even know where he's at anymore. So, you know, I don't don't even know. I don't even know. Some of you like, man, I went to a church and I don't even know who the pastor was, what his name was, where they are anymore. Like some of you, that's your story. Some of you didn't grow up in church. And some of you grew up in a church where you're like, man, they were a faithful church and now they're no longer faithful. See, that's Gideon's story. So that's what we're going to pick up. Uh, the, we're going to start in verse one of chapter six and looking at look at the, the Israel Gideon knew. This is the this is his context, his upbringing. It says this in verse one: the people of Israel did. Remember, when we see the word Israel, think God's people. Uh, the, God's people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves uh, dens that are in the mountains and the caves and and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour their pro- the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. They would come up with their livestock and and their tents. They would come like locusts in number, so there's a lot of them, but they were both, they and their camels, could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out, for help to the Lord, these are Gideon's formative years. Uh, he, he's being formed in a culture that's in chaos. Seven years of oppression by Midian, and in the, the churches in his day, I mean, they've closed. If they've closed, if they're open, they're apostate. If they're, if they, many of them have closed. The, the, God's people have done what was evil again in the sight of the Lord. It's a refrain we keep seeing throughout the, uh, our time in Judges. is God's people forsake his word, will, and ways. And every time they forsake him, chaos breaks out. It's where we find ourselves again here. And so it's like growing up. In, in a, uh, Gideon grew up in a, in, a, in a culture that was formerly faithful. They were formerly faithful. They, they, they served the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You get it, you get Joseph, you get Moses, you get, you get uh, Joshua, and now we're we're here in the book of Judges, there was there was generations of great faithfulness and generations in which God worked his his mighty hand and mighty power through. But here in Gideon's day, in his age, they, they are not no longer walking with the Lord. That's his upbringing. That's his environment. It's like growing up in a church that was formerly faithful, but now you look out and it's rainbow flag-wearing, pro-abortion, drag queen-celebrating type of church. You're like, are those real? Like, you haven't been on the internet, I guess. Like, they are. And some of you know, like, that was your background. And his dad, we're going to find out later, he's like a uh, spiritual guru for Baal and Ashroth. Like, that's his thing. He builds the shrines. He worships. He, he, he conducts the worship. Um, he he he's he's gone full blown apostasy that was his ba- that was his father used to be a faithful guy no longer faithful so just imagine you grew up in that environment in that church what are you hearing you're not hearing about uh, the, the, the bible proclaimed you're hearing it edited and changed so well, there's going to be a lot of there are a lot of scholars a lot of commentators will will really you know press hard on gideon and for his his, his timidity and his lack of, of faith and his cowardice but the guy did not his background was, was, was not a, a background of faithful, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, preaching people. He's actually going to be the first in his family. He's going to set the new trajectory. But right now, this is his background. Additionally, uh, um, for the past seven years, the, the Midian had overtaken them, and God's people are literally in hiding oppression so bad that they have to hide their crops or else the government's gonna come in and take, take, take everything they own. Just even their cattle we see, their ox, their, their donkeys, they just, they just come in and take their stuff. Think Marxist communist regime. Like that's what's going on in the days of Gideon. And there's two nations that are named here, and then also these nations from the east, but two nations, the Midianites and the Amalekites. These are two wicked nations working together with other nations to oppress God's people, and they're leaving the land literally desolate. The question you always need to ask yourself when you see a nation in ruin and misery and and, and in chaos and in, in disorder, and you see godless pagans ruling and leading, the question you need to ask yourself is, where are God's people? How'd get there? Where are God's people? Well, I'll tell you where they are. They're in hiding. They have forsaken God. See, when you forsake the God of the Bible, it's really hard to stand up against any form of tyranny or oppression or any any group of people that would want to take away human rights. It's hard to stand up to them because you have no power. You have not seen the face of the living God. So you just let them do whatever they feel right in their own eyes to protect yourself. Because you know you can't overcome them, and you don't trust in a God who can overcome them for you. And so what we see is that, that, that God's people have forsaken his word, will, and ways. The churches have closed, or they've turned into the pagan temples. And it gets so bad. It gets so bad that God's people finally, in verse 6, they cry out to the Lord. They finally cry out to the Lord. And this is what God's response was in verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on uh, on the account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. Normally you hear this, you're like, man, this is going to be good. This is good. Like God sending a prophet, this is some good news. Here's the news. He said to them, thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove out before you, and gave you their. Uh, I gave you their land, and I said to you, "I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear, meaning you should not serve or worship the gods of the Amorites, whose, whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. The prophet's not coming to encourage God's people. He's coming to indict them. Oh, why, is it, why are you in ruin and misery? It's because you keep forsaking the Lord. He's not coming with, hey, you're crying out to me. I'm coming to rescue you. We're going to see he does rescue them later, not in our text today. But it's, it's, he, he's coming to them first. And God's people are saying, why, God? Why do you allow evil? If you're such a good God, why would you allow oppression? You ever heard that? Ever heard that? Why would you allow wicked?" Why would you allow wicked things to go on in this world? I thought you were good, God. His reply to them is, you're the evil one. You are evil. You have forsaken my word, will, and ways after I've done all these things for you. And I told you that, that you, I am your God. You will be my people. You shall worship no other God. I will, not bow, I will not allow you to bow your knee to any other God and still have fellowship with you. And so he's disfellowshipped himself from God's people because they disfellowshipped themselves from him. They did not obey his voice. And so I need you to see this sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes we find ourselves in a mess and it's because we've been disobedient to the voice of God. It's not always why your life is a mess. Jesus was was, was perfectly obedient to the will of the Father completely and he got murdered you know so it doesn't always go well for God's people what I'm saying is here it's very clear that the reason why they are in this mess in this predicament is strictly because they've disobeyed God it's important for us it is It is. so in our day and age we don't like to think in those terms but we ought to much of the mess we find ourselves in as a nation is because we've forsaken God's word will, and ways that's clear And so God wants our obedience over our sacrifice. We see that in in 1 Samuel chapter 5, 15, 22. God wants obedience over sacrifice. Jesus even says, he equates obedience to loving him. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Our day, we don't like like commands. We don't like obedience. We just want to feel and do whatever we want to do. Well, guess what? That's exactly what they're doing in the day of judges. Doing whatever they feel right in their own eyes. And so I hear people all the time, they claim, I love God. I love Jesus. I love him. You'll hear, that's what they'll say. But they wildly reject his word and commands. It's likely that Gideon's father and many of the, the Israelites in this day would have said, no, we believe in God. We, are, we, we believe in him. We actually, yeah, we love him. We just don't obey him. Welcome to American Christianity. We profess love and faith in the God of the Bible, but we don't even read the, the Bible nor obey what it has said. And so there's much uh, of Judges. It's really an indictment also, not on just Israel here in the text, but an indictment on our, our, in, our, in our day, in our age, in our church, corporately, nationally, and globally. So what happens next? What happens when Jesus shows up? Because Jesus shows up again in the text. Here we go in 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 verse eleven. Now the angel of the Lord sat under the uh, timbrenth of uh, Orpha, uh, Orpha, uh, which belongs to uh, Joasha, Joshua, Joshua, uh, the Am- A- Amberzite. Sorry, I'm I'm like messing these words up today. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites, real quick. The angel of the Lord shows up. Who is the angel of the Lord? Do we remember? We keep talking about this over and over and over. Who is the angel of the Lord? jesus that's that's who it is he's the pre-incarnate lord jesus when you see the angel of the lord in the old testament it's jesus not an angel and an angel is just a messenger but the angel of the lord is jesus so jesus is showing up that's the thing we got to see jesus shows up what does jesus think about this this whole thing in the old testament well we're about to find out and so gideon he's 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 threshing wheat and hiding he he, he that's what he's doing. Why is he doing this? Why is he hiding in, in the wine press? So they don't steal it. Some people are like, well, he's just a coward. No, he's smart. Like, it's very true. Like, if, if the government is taking everything you have that's visible, hiding it is wise. That's a whole other conversation about government, taxation, theft. You know, we can do that at another time. However, what we see here is Gideon, he's hiding uh, because he, he, this, is the, this is his livelihood, his livelihood, he's threshing wheat and hiding. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. So the angel of the Lord shows up and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. If you've ever read the book of Judges or read, ever read commentary on, on anything in Judges, you'll see that almost every commentator looks at this point and says, Gideon is, uh, is not mighty. He's hiding. He's weak. He's a coward. And every single commentator who says this is writing those statements from their study, hiding as well. Just saying. Like, they're not out there. Like, there's an oppressive regime. I know Gideon gets gets flack, and later he's going to struggle with faith as well. But, I mean, they're wanting to kill God's people. They're taking their stuff. He's hiding to provide for his family, and Jesus shows up and Jesus is not ashamed to show up in, in, in any crevice of our life. Whether we're in hiding, in shame, we're hiding from uh, the, the, the enemy or we are just, you know, at our job, at our work. Jesus is not ashamed to show up and he shows up to Gideon and calls in this mighty man of valor. And in verse 13, Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if, if the Lord, if Yahweh is with us, why then has all this happened to us? If God is good, why is he allowing these evil things to happen? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I am with you. You shall strike the the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor, favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. It is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from me until I come up to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will, uh, he said stay, I will stay till you return. Gideon's about to go get some meal. He's about to make some lunch. And he's going to offer this to the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus. What I want us to see here is that what happens when Jesus shows up, lives begin to change. See, when Jesus shows up, he's saved. Salvation has come to the door of Gideon. What we are witnessing is, is, is Jesus showing up. He's going to give a call to, to Gideon, but he's also going to save him. And you need to know this. Gideon did not grow up reading the Bible. He did not grow up following God's word, will, and ways. He, he, he did not grow up trusting in the God of the Bible. So when God shows up, he's like a little skeptical. And so the first thing we see is that the, God shows up, or Jesus shows up, he says, the Lord is with you. This is awesome for the Christian if you are a Christian today, Jesus has promised you to not just save you, but to be with you always until he returns. This is great news. This is great news. Jesus is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is what we all truly need. This is what Gideon needs. This is what you and I need to be reminded today that Jesus is with us. What are you going through? Jesus is there with you. We need Jesus, we need his presence, we need his assurance, we need him. Not just a word from him, we need him himself to show up. And Jesus shows up and the situation isn't great. The church, condition of the church here in Judges is not great. The government is not great. The circumstances are not great. The, The only great hope here in this text is that Jesus shows up. The only great hope in your life is that Jesus would show up, amen? That is the greatest hope, that Jesus would show up. And so, for the Christian, the circumstances may not be great, but your God is. Say it again Christian, your circumstances from time to time will not be great, but every single day, your God is great. Forevermore, he will will be great. And so, I need you to see this that perspective needs to trump your circumstances, because circumstances ebb and flow. But if we have a perspective that Jesus is who he says he is, he is God, he is with us, and he is great, that that, that picture, that reality, that, tac, that, that tac, tactile reality, it's real, should, should trump your circumstances. Let me tell you, like, this is all the only way I, I can navigate the world we live in, is to, to be reminded constantly that the Lord is with me. This is the only hope we have in this life is that we are not our own, that we have been bought with the price. Jesus owns us and he is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. The enemy cannot snatch us out of his hand. This is great news and a great encouragement. He next, Jesus shows up and calls him, oh, mighty man of valor. I think this is an awesome statement. Some will say, well, he's not a mighty man of valor. Yeah, and neither were you a son or daughter until Jesus showed up and called you a son or daughter. You weren't. You were an alien. You were a stranger. You were a, a slave. You were an a, a enemy of God. He, Jesus showed up and saved you, and then in that moment, you became a son or daughter of God. Gideon was not a mighty man of valor until Jesus showed up and said, you're now a mighty man of valor. Like, well, how did that happen? Jesus showed up. This is what happens. When Jesus shows up, him being with us is enough. If you feel weak and frail, what you need to know is that you are weak and frail, but your God is not. So if your God is with you, you too are a mighty man or a mighty woman a valor. I don't feel like it. Well, he doesn't really feel like it either in the moment. Tell you what, also, Peter didn't really feel like a solid rock in his, in, you know, when he denied Jesus, didn't feel like, man, I'm the guy who the church is gonna get started and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna rock and roll. No. Peter in the New Testament runs from from, from from conflict being associated with Jesus. We all are in need of Jesus' mercy, his grace, his kindness, his power. Gideon sees Jesus. He shows up and calls him, Oh mighty man of valor. You are not, if, when, you, when, you, when you were not a Christian, you were not a son or daughter of God. But when Jesus saved you, you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed. This is our story. This is Gideon's story. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter your quote-unquote status, how you feel about your status. In Christ, you are a child of God. Your destiny, your identity, your, 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 your relationship with God has been utterly changed By the person and work of Jesus. He has sealed you with His Holy Spirit. He's adopted you into His family. Whether you feel like it or not, if you're a Christian, that's who you are. And so, just like many, when you first become Christian, you uh, have questions. Right? Is that, you know, Gideon the only one? Like, when you became a Christian, like, I don't know how any of this stuff works. He just and this is what exactly what happens in verse 13 Gideon doesn't know what's going on so he tells God, "Hey, my Lord, if you're if the Lord Yahweh is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonderful deeds that our father recounted to us? Did not the Lord Yahweh bring us up out of Egypt? But the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian." He has questions, right? You know, you got saved and you're like, man, I got some questions. How does this all add up? This is Gideon. So be encouraged if you have questions. But don't be discouraged when when Jesus doesn't answer your questions because he doesn't answer Gideon's. He doesn't. Gideon knows enough about God to accuse him, not enough to understand him. Many of us, that's, that's where we're at. Like We know enough about him to accuse him, but not enough to understand him. God's not bothered by your question. He just might not answer it. You know why he He doesn't answer this? Because he has already spoken on it. We've already saw it back in in earlier in this same passage that that the prophet came to God's people and said, this is why you are in dire misery, because you have forsaken the Lord. Jesus could have said, well, hey, Gideon, did did you listen to the prophet that I sent? Did you... You know, recount, did, did you hear all the things that I've done? Did you, why didn't your dad? He could have said all these things to Gideon like, you really don't know Gideon? He doesn't. he doesn't. He just doesn't answer him. Why? Because he's already spoken on it. God's not offended by the question. He's just going, man, That he's ignorant. He doesn't know much about me. I'm just going to move on. I'll move on. He's going to figure it out along the way. So many of you, God has already spoken on the question you have. It's right here. He's already spoken on it. You haven't read his word. You don't study his word. You don't seek him in his word. And you're wondering why you don't have answers to the questions you have. Like, well, I got to YouTube it and ask some questions. Well, hopefully those are helpful. And hopefully those people point you back to the scriptures. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that are not of the scripture. Go to, go to his word with your questions. Do so humility seeking to hear from the Lord what he has to say about the question you have. God is not unwilling to answer your question. It's likely he's already spoken on it. Gideon just needs to simply go back and, and, and read and hear about what God has already said on this matter. And he would know, oh, why have you forsaken us? Well, it's because we've forsaken you. We, you actually haven't forsaken us. We've run and we've rebelled from you. But Jesus doesn't answer his, his accusations. He actually bypasses the question and he goes straight to him, verse 14. He goes, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did I not send you? It's like, but I got questions, God. Like, why did you allow this? And he says, hey, go, go. Do what I've asked you to do. Go del- I've now raised you up, you go deliver. Well, God, why are we even in this place in the first place? Gideon, go, go do what I've asked you to do. That's what he says. See, Gideon still has questions, and, and, and he, he's he's accompanied by fear, we see this he, he, we see this clearly. He's like, well, I need a sign. And and what does he say in verse? Th- uh, uh, he says, "I'm so small." In verse six, verse fifteen, I'm the smallest of my father's house. In so verse sixteen, Jesus says, "I'm tired of all your excuses." But I will be with you. It's just this refrain that that God keeps. Overlooking Gideon's questions and reminding him of his reality, I am with you. Well, how are we going to do it, God? I'm with you. Uh, I'm really scared. Okay, I'm with you. Well, I'm the least in my father's house. I'm with you. 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 This is what we need to be reminded of: is that God is with us. You, that's God's more concerned about that. You can get that. Then we'll get to your questions. But many of you will will look at the questions you have about Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, and indict God as a reason to prove that he is not with you. God is saying, no, Gideon, Before you, you, these questions that you have about why Midian is oppressing you do not indicate that I'm not with you. I am with you. Be reminded I am with you. And press forward in the might that I give you. It's important for us to be reminded. May it be your daily practice that when life is difficult, perhaps, when work is hard, when conversations with your child or with your spouse are, are exhausting, your finances are tight, tragedy strikes, may it be your practice, Christian, that in everything, in, when you're exhausted or when you're overjoyed, that you remember this reality that Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. And now that we hear that, here's Gideon's response. What, is your, what would your response be? What's your response today that Jesus is with you? Let's see his, verse 19. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and and unleavened cakes uh, from the ephah of of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the the terebinth and presented to him. He's under the tree. The angel of of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that he had in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprung up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But, but the Lord has said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Why would you die? Because you can't see God face to face without dying. Moses experienced this. Isaiah experiences this. Gideon is experiencing this. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the um, Ab- Abizirites. Upon this point, in this story, Gideon still has questions. You need to see this. His questions aren't getting answered. He keeps getting this promise that Jesus is going to be with him. And and, and that he has this great calling on his life. He's going to deliver God's people from the hand of Midian. Though he's in hiding, he's going to be a, a, a mighty warrior. This is a lot to take in for this young guy. And so what he does is he's like, okay, I need, we need to talk more about this. You've been really good to me, this, this angel of the Lord. I'm going to bring you a meal. I'm going to cook it for you. And this meal, in this moment, it becomes a burnt offering to the Lord. Jesus burns it up, licks it up in fire. This is awesome. For those of God's people who would be reading this, this would have taken them back to the day of Moses. When, Moses, when God showed up to Moses through a fire, through a burning bush. To speak to Moses, to call him also a weak man, a frail man, to deliver God's people from the hand of their oppressor, the Egyptians. See, from the Old Testament to uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, now we get in. we're into Judges. God is continually showing up, delivering his people. God has a call on Gideon's life. Just like he had a call on Moses' life. And he speaks to him again through this burning, uh, Moses through a burning bush here through the, through the consumption of the food. And it, what does it do? It immediately triggers to Gideon, boom, that was Jesus. That's the Lord. That, that was, that's the guy. It wasn't just the messenger. That was God himself showed up. See, Gideon needed not an intellectual exercise of Q&A between Jesus. You and I don't need an intellectual exercise of Q&A between Jesus. You need his presence, his power to be experienced and felt. Your questions kind of go by the wayside when God shows up. Gideon, is, he goes from like, hey God, why are you? if you were really God, then why, why did you allow evil to happen? You know, all these questions, these indicting questions about God. Then when he sees the manifest presence of the Lord God, he shuts up about his questions. See, you and I, will our mouths will be shut shut on the day of judgment. There will be no one who questions God. Well, God, why did you allow this to happen? If you were good, all the nonsense we hear proclaimed in our day, our mouths will be stopped in the presence of God when we see our God face to face. Therefore, we should take note now. We We need to be a people who... To seek and yearn for the presence of the living God. Not saying we can't ask questions and learn. Not saying that at all. But what we need more than that, than our questions answered, is the presence of God. What we need more than our questions to be answered is the manifest presence of God. We're told through the, through the New Testament that, that when we gaze upon the glory of Jesus Christ through his word, we are regu- regularly, we are transformed day by day from one degree of glory to the next. We need to gaze upon the glory of Jesus Christ revealed through his word and allow his word, his power, his spirit to transform our hearts and our minds. Next, what we see is the first part of the mission that God's going to give Gideon. Verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your, uh, this is the first thing he tells him is to forsake his idols. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down the Asherah beside it. Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there with stones and lay in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 ten uh, men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day he did it by night first thing God tells Gideon forsake your idols and so before we get hung up on the time of day that Gideon goes and this perpetual fear we're going to see him have let's 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 be reminded of the context here no one's worshiping the God of the Bible Gideon's father was the, was, the, was the pagan spiritual leader in this day, in, the, in this city. The, the, the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth, they were commissioned in the, the building of this likely by his father's money. They don't have a lot of money. They're being oppressed by these wicked rulers. It, God is asking him to go tear down something of value to his father. Not just in, in monetary value, but, but it was literally the center of, uh, of, of worship. This isn't just simply a shrine. This is a, a center of daily worship for the people in the city. And, and, and what we see here is that the, the, we've talked at length that these demon gods, Baal and Ashtaroth, are these, these gods of sex, sensuality, perversion, prostitution, child sacrifice. These are the, the, the hallmarks of this city, like the, the city that Gideon lives in. They love pride. They love pleasure. They love their identities wrapped up in these idols. And God says, I will not allow my people to worship any other god but me. It's the same command he gave to Moses. You shall have no other gods beside me. God does not share his glory with anyone. So the first act is he tells Gideon to go tear down the shrines, tear down the altars, remove the, the things that keep my people from worshiping me. And then he says to do it publicly because this shrine is in public. This is awesome. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, Gideon, let we we, we not have a private faith, you and me. And he says, your faith has to go. His first act of, he's been, a, he's been a following the, the God of the Bible for like an hour. And his first act was to go public. How many of you have never shared your faith with anyone you know? That's not a Christian. I'm not shaming you. I'm just saying like, God didn't wait. His faith went public day one. You're like, well, he went at night. Yeah. How many nights have you gone, you know, you've been late like, dormant in your faith? Like, I'm just saying, let's not get, let's not get so bent out of shape about his, his cowardice. When I look at, at America today, I'm like, well, he, he's not a coward compared to us. God is telling Gideon, go destroy, forsake the idols, worship me, and worship me publicly, not just privately. Worship me publicly. I'm going to make a point to the people of the city, that I am God and there shall be no other. Gideon's fear here to go at night is, is, is understandable. We're we'll to find out later, they want to kill him afterwards. He probably knew if he tore down the altar like God had said, they would want to kill him. Hmm, reason to be afraid, just saying. Not many of you have like, you know, not, that's not like a normal everyday experience for the American Christian yet. That like your, your faith and obedience to Jesus is going to result in being killed. It was for some in the New Testament. And there may be a day in our age. But what here in, in, in Gideon's day, it's certain. They want, that's what they're going to want to do. This is why his in, obedience is so important. That's what's important here. It's not the time of day in which he obeyed. It's the fact that he obeyed. He obeyed and he brought 10 other of his friends. Immediately, he's a disciple maker. He didn't take the discipleship course. He hasn't read his Bible yet. He knows nothing other than God told me to do it. I'm gonna take some friends and we're gonna all go obey God. Man, if we could just have a few people in the city do that, the world would be changed. Just let me encourage you. This is what you wanna make a disciple? This is what you do. You go, hey, I'm gonna take some friends. I don't know if they know God at all, at all yet, but I'm saying, hey, we're going to go follow him. We're going to obey him. What do we got to do? Well, we're going to go tear down the, the idol. Like oh, That sounds scary. Yeah, we'll go at night. Cool. That's his first discipleship group meeting. That's what they're doing. It's awesome. I think it's really awesome. And in, in, in our day, we, we say, oh, you're afraid? Oh, you're afraid? That's okay that you didn't obey. We understand afraid you didn't obey we understand it no 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 what this is what we should see is like he obeyed even though he was afraid he said fear is not the issue it's obedience it's the issue fear is real especially in our day especially when christianity isn't popular and the culture hates you and i know many uh, of you know that that your opinions or god's opinions may be offensive to the watching world some of you you're like gideon and and, in god's word it will be offensive to your family members you're going to get backlash if you, if you say what the Bible says on any issue. Gideon is counting the cost. He's going at night. He knows that his repu- not only his reputation is at risk, but his life is at risk. And he gets his friends to go along with him. He's not just at risk of losing friends and being canceled. His life is at risk. And so I want us to see here, the courage here is not the lack of fear. His courage is displayed by his obedience to God in the face of his fear. And so how is he able, you have to ask the question, how is he able to press forward? New Christian, a lot at risk, culture hates him, his dad's the idol guy, he's about to go tear down his dad's church and throw worship service for Jesus on top of it. Like this is a high-risk situation, he hasn't been walking with God for but a few hours. He hasn't walked yet. He's just sitting probably. How is he able to do this? Hebrews 11 tells us that he was a man of faith. It's faith. Well, then how was he able to have faith? God had told him he was with him. That's how. Like, How do you even press forward in this life, in our day, in our age, with the cultural pressure around you is that you are reminded that God is with you. And you're far more, uh, you you understand he's far bigger than whatever the cultural issue is in the moment. He loves you more than they hate you. His presence is more powerful than any weapon that they could form against you. And he believes that. And he, he doesn't have a long track record with God. He just has faith. And he does it. You're like, yeah, but he did it at night. Yeah, but he does it. It's awesome. And so what happens when the cultural idols fall? Verse 28. When the men of the town rose early in the morning because they got to go do their, you know, demonic, you know, sex ritual at the altar of Baal. Uh, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down. It gets even better. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. So another god had showed up. It's God of the Bible. And he, there's a sacrifice to him, not to Baal, not to Asherah. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And they searched after it and inquired. And they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the asherah beside it. Yeah, high risk, high reward. Notice this that Gideon doesn't just topple the idols. I love this. He doesn't just destroy the idols, he replaces it. This is so important. Many in our day want to just hey, we'll tear down the idols. Cool. Unto what? The worship of Jesus Christ's name. These are demon gods. Jesus tells us you cast out the demon, you don't fill with the Holy Spirit, it gets worse. So Gideon doesn't just tear down the idols and go, we're not going to worship Baal and Asheroth. He No, he tears down the idols and says, we're going to worship the one true and living God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our ancestors. We're going to worship him. See, it's not enough to simply oppose the false gods of our day. Toppling idols only has power if replaced by the worship of the one true and living God. His name's Jesus. And when these idols, when these demon gods are toppled, people will get upset. But when they're replaced by Jesus, they'll be enraged. You see this. People don't like their idols exposed. What they hate more than their idols being exposed is Jesus replacing. They're in rage. They're angry. See, the culture of Judges is like the culture of our day. They claimed tolerance. They claimed sexual freedom, gender fluidity, like Asheroth, what we talked about in the past. They they, they rejoiced in child sacrifice. See, they tolerated what God saw was intolerant. And God has showed up and said, I am the one true and living God. And he destroys their idol. He removes it. And Gideon wants, or they want to kill Gideon. Uh, one of my favorite um, reformers, Martin Luther, said this. You, preachers should preach in such a way that when they preach, that people come to hate their sin or they hate the preacher. This is what Gideon does. Either there's two of, one of two options is going to happen. They're either going to come to see that their idols were disgusting to the presence of God and see it as revolting and repent, or they're going to take their anger out on Gideon. And they choose to take their anger out on Gideon but the same is true in our day right when Roe was overturned you can't kill babies anymore because they're made in the image of God our nation raged our city San Antonio raged our mayor city council that would rather consult with demons than the the council of the living God same is true throughout the New Testament. Oftentimes when you see revival break out, it also is accompanied by riots. In Acts 19, one of the town idol makers his silversmith. He makes idols. He gets converted, trusts Jesus. He shuts down his idol shop. What happens? The, 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 church, the, the people in Ephesus rioted because they wanted an idol to Artemis. That's what, or Artemis, that's who it that was. They wanted Artemis, an idol to Artemis specifically. They wanted an idol here in Judges to, to uh, Baal and Ashtaroth, and they can't have their idol, their demon God, so they want to kill God's people. Don't lose hope, church, when the nations rage, when opposition comes against Jesus and his people. Worship the one true and living God like Gideon does. He exchanges their idol worship for the worship of the one true and living God. He still moves forward even though in fear and and, and not just tears down the idol, but then he throws a worship service. He makes a sacrifice to the one true and living God. It's awesome. And then the, the people, they get to his dad, right? What is his dad gonna say? Verse 31, but Joash said to all those who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? whoever contends for him shall be put to death by mourning. if he is a god if baal is a god let him contend for himself because he because his altar has been broken down therefore on that day gideon was called jerubbabel uh, that is to say let baal contend against him because he broke down his altar see gideon's dad did not rage it's interesting here it's hard to say if this is repentance but you do see a softening of his heart His father has known of the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua. He knows of him. So when he sees his son step forward in faith and obedience, it doesn't edit God's word but proclaims God's word, he's he's at least hitting pause and reconsidering his idolatry. And he says, okay, well, if Baal is real, then let him show up. Guess what? Baal doesn't show up. He's not real. He's a demon. Can't do anything not against the power of God. And so sometimes I need you to see, church, it, 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 your unbelieving family or friends need to see you step out and in uh, faith and obedience in, in the midst of opposition to know that, that maybe God is real. Maybe their idols aren't as glorious as they seem. He silences his father and his, his idolatry when he, when he stands firm to the, in, in obedience to the one true and living God in the midst of hardship and possibly risking his life. And they rename him. They're like, hey, I'm going to call the guy Baal, contend against him. Like, hey, just, I want you. To, this is what he's now known for. This is awesome. And let me ask you this. So what are you going to be known for? Will people know you for your faith or for your compromise? Will people know you that you contended for the cause of Christ or that you bowed and whored after the same gods of the nations around you? What will you be known for? We live in a day where people, you need to know this church, we live in a day where people no longer build their friendships by what C.S. Lewis would call uh, a shared interest, meaning people have shared interests and therefore your friends groups are around what you find uh, enjoyable, whether it be uh, the books you like or the, the movies you like or the shows or athletics you, you, you enjoy. We no longer do we have our friendships in our nation built around shared interest. The time has now changed. The time has changed to what we now build our, our friendships around shared ideologies. You can see it. You'll see it. You'll see groups. I saw it in, in, in different groups, uh, 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 places that I uh, spheres that I found myself. In. There was a uh, you know you know everyone knows CrossFit right? The cult. Um, I was a part of it. The CrossFit cult, and so you know, everyone who loves CrossFit talks about CrossFit, and uh, you know, it's a pretty nice, tight, knit group community. CrossFit community. Well, uh, when you start talking about the God of the Bible, it immediately, or any any issue of our day and age, and an ideology that differs from the, the the opinion of other people in the room, immediately there's poles. The friendships are split. No longer is it shared interest of a refined human natural camaraderie. It's around ideologies. You, can't know, you, you can have shared interest until someone finds out you're a Bible-believing Christian. Get used to it. Befriend faithfulness, as the psalmist says. Forsake foolishness. How do you do so? He's like, how do I do so? Like, I need us to understand that's the world we live in. We have to be willing to risk our life, our reputation for the cause of Christ like Gideon. We have to. And in doing so, what we'll see is there are going to be people who get angry and outraged. There will be people like Gideon's father who pause and consider the claims of Christianity. But the question is, how do you press forward in 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 a developing pressure cooker of the world we find ourselves in? Jesus, he's with you. That's how. Same way Gideon did it. We have to fight to be in the presence of God, to walk upright according to his word, will, and ways, to to fight to love Jesus with our whole heart, not just uh, see him as a way, but the only way. He is worthy to love him, to, to seek him, to know him. Gideon literally throws a worship service uh, in a city full of idols. Each Sunday, church, we gather in a city full of idols to worship the name of Jesus. We declare there is only one God. We will bow our knee to no other name but Jesus. Jesus demands our entire worship in word, in thought, in deed, and we say yes Amen. We agree. We love that. We're here for that. He's our God. We were not always His people, but we are now His people. We once rebelled against Him, but now we want to follow Him. He is our God. He is our King. He has saved us. This is what it means to live a life of worship to God. Is that it's, not a, it's a Sunday through Sunday, 24 hours, 7 days a week, entire life of worship. We serve no one else. We worship no one else. The reality is, each week when we come together, we get to be reminded of the fact that we have all gone astray. We are like, we have all gone astray. Each week, during the week, we pick up new idols and we start worshiping them. Every Sunday, we get to be reminded we need to lay them down. We need to cast them down. We need to repent of our sin and trust in the true and living God over and over and over again. Martin Luther again, with the in the when he began the Protestant Reformation, his first thesis of it, uh, was that the Christian life is one of continual repentance, constant repentance. Christians get used to that word. Don't be scared of that word. It's the, it's, it's, we need that word. We continually, daily, hourly, moment by moment, turn and fix our eyes back on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, being reminded that he is with us. And it's only because he is with us we can, we can continue to press forward in hope, in love, in trust, in faith, in obedience because he is with us. And it's everything to us. That's why the psalmist would say, If you don't go with us, we will not go. If Jesus is not everything to you and his presence isn't enough, then you will remain stagnant. You will stay hidden. You will not go public. Jesus will not be sweet and savoring to you. But he is. He is. We continually turn our eyes back to Jesus and see Jesus the victor. Jesus is victorious. Who can contend with him? Baal, he can't stand up. Asherah, nope. Cultural idols, nope. No one can contend with Jesus, amen? This is good news. This should excite you. This should thrill you. This should invigorate you. should energize you that Jesus has died in the place of sinners. He has risen from the dead victoriously. Your sin has been dealt with, done, gone, forever, for always, past, present, future, dealt with. Awesome, glorious, praiseworthy. Marvel at that, church. Jesus has also, through his resurrection, disarmed the demonic rulers and authorities of this present darkness. He's actually, as Colossians 2.15 says, He's put them up to public mockery and shame by triumphing over them through his resurrection. Just like Baal and Asheroth are put to shame here, Satan and demons are shamed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which we proclaim every single day. Every time we gather for worship, we sing about it. Every time the the Bible's open, we preach about it. Every time we take communion, the footsteps going to the table are just marching, or the sounds of an army marching to remember the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim his death His resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, this triumphant victory over the demonic rulers, putting them continually open to mockery and public shame. It's Christianity. And we wake up tomorrow, do it at our job. We do it in our home. We do it while we drive. This is Christianity. Jesus is telling Gideon, I know you live in this oppressive city, nation state, but you know what's actually worse than the oppression of the Midianites? It's the sin that clings so closely. It enslaves you worse than Midian. But each week we get reminded, church, that this is the news. The sin no longer has hold on us. You are free. You are free. You are free no matter what culture you live in, who the oppressor is. If Jesus Christ has set you free from your sin, then you are free indeed. We're free to worship, we're free to obey, we're free to love, to, to follow Jesus with our full heart, with our full life. We were once bound by sin, by shame. By by idolatry, the lust of our flesh, we were captives, we were were friends of foolishness and folly, hell-bent on our own destruction. Now, church, free. Freedom. Look to Jesus if you're not a Christian. Be saved. Look to Jesus if you are a Christian and be sustained. We have one. The response in this room is only one response: look to Jesus. Follow Jesus, obey Jesus, worship Jesus. He has toppled your idols. He has laid waste your enemies, sin, Satan, death, in the grave. In Jesus, you are free to live free. And to the Son who set you free, church, you are free indeed. Let's pray.